and welcome to the latest episode of the Stick to Hockey podcast. It is number 71 in your program. It's Russ Cohen at Sportsology on Twitter, Jason Mertitis at Jason Mert. Number 71, Russ, give it to me. Who's the number 70, 71? I don't know. You don't know? How about Evgeny Malkin? Malkin, that's right. So obvious. Oh, my goodness. He's a Hall of Famer, for goodness sake. I know yeah, there's I'm people right now punching their radio. <laughs> I'm still on vacation. What are you going to do? So, so where did you go on vacation? I went to Orlando and uh, took in Met Spring Training, went to Universal Studios, and went to Gatorland. Gatorland was crazy good. Oh, now, did you go to the new Star Wars exhibit? No, we, um, we're going to end up doing that next time. We went to less travel places than that. Okay, uh, that's the hot spot now because it just opened yes. in December, so yeah. the edge of the galaxy or whatever it's called. But yeah, uh, yeah. This I didn't want to stand in line all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's good on you for doing that. I went to Disney World in August. Let me tell you, that was fun. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> right, and that's why Universal wasn't that bad for lines, and it. Um, we went on like The Simpsons. We went on Harry Potter. We went on. Uh, minions, and then, like I said, Gatorland. I was I was petting gators. We fed the gators. We had a good time, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you got away in time for the stretch run of the yeah. regular NHL season, which is great. And we're past the deadline now. And Russ, we talked for so many weeks about the trade deadline, and uh-huh. you know, you know, my argument's been it screws teams up more than it helps them. And boy, did it screw one up in Pennsylvania. What's going on with the Pittsburgh Penguins who've lost six straight? And this, this didn't start right at the deadline. This started almost in tandem with the acquisition of Jason Zucker, who's actually been pretty good. Well, no, no, no. Zucker did well for them. I think the Marlowe part has probably screwed them up more. They were winning with Zucker when he first got Well, uh, They won two games with Zucker. Right. So, But so now they've lost six. <laughs> no, I know. I just think sometimes when you're trying to find a place for those guys and just a natural lull in the season, I really think that that's all that's happened. But before I let you puff your chest out, I want to reiterate a trade that happened at the deadline because you always say they're not impactful. But a lot of times they're impactful down the road. So a couple of years ago, the Rangers traded Ryan Graves, a defenseman, for Chris Bigra, who you know is on the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Uh Brian Graves is a plus 44 this year. He's got 100 block, 132 blocks, 100 hits, 9 goals, 27 points, a defenseman. And I really liked him. I didn't like the trade at the time. When the Rangers made it, I had watched him play at the Mem Cup. And so that is an impactful trade. It's just it took a couple of years. Well, you know so what that, I'm talking about. I, I I'm, I'm more talking about those those rental-type players. Like, I actually yes. – you and I both do. You and I agree on this. We both like the Zucker trade because yes. we think he, he's a good hockey fit and he has term beyond that. That wasn't one of those those deals. Plus, he's in right. addition to what is a pretty um, astounding core. But i got to ask you a few questions about the Penguins, and we're going to get to the Flyers who just blew by them in the standings. Yeah. They've lost six straight games, and I don't ever – Crosby has one goal in their last six games. And he has zero assists in those six games. Coincidence that that's why they're losing? Yeah, I mean, it's, a co- it's, it's not a coincidence. It definitely, he's the driver most times. But, I, I, again, I just think it's a lull in their season. They lost six, the Flyers won six. Coincidentally, they moved past them. Does that make Philly better than them? I don't think so. But I think Philly's on a good run here, and it gives them a leg up to make the playoffs. And, and I think that's the ultimate goal. 
And so they look good for that. I just think we've caught Pittsburgh at a bad time here, and I'm not going to overanalyze it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, too, is Crosby is a minus eight in those six games. It's pretty amazing that— Do you think uh, he'll be a minus tonight after Ottawa? I don't. Well, I don't. I didn't think they'd be minus two against the San Jose Sharks after losing the first two games and getting shit kicked by the Kings and the Ducks. That's fair. And they got they got beat five nothing in that the game. Kings, let's be fair. The Kings have been beating a lot of teams besides. Yeah. That. Well, you know that's the other part of the trade deadline. You see these teams that dump players that go in sell mode, and all of a sudden they know that they're not playing anything. All the pressure in the world is lifted off them, yeah, and they, they just go out and play hockey. They play loosey goosey, man. And, and what happens when that happens? They're pretty good. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. The brain That's gets a, in the I mean, way of good hockey far too often. Right. I mean, if we want to be really fair, while the Flyers beat the Sharks, if the Sharks had any kind of goaltending that night from Arundel, that would have been a very close game, and it could have gone either way. Yeah. No, you're right about that. You're absolutely right. And it's it's amazing like to see some of these teams that uh, they unload some talent and all of a sudden all the expectation is gone. The brain stays out of the equation and they just go and play some hockey and, and they have some success. It makes them dangerous down the stretch, which is odd to say that the teams that are out of it sometimes are the more dangerous opponent. Now, you said the Blue Jackets would fall out of it and they're still in it. No, but they're falling. You know that. I mean, you, well, you've I, seen what that team is. I mean, they're still in it. Like, Torts has somehow gripped on to the ice with his with his thumbs, and he's holding on. Well, yeah, I, I got to give Torts full, and you know how I feel I, about Tortorella. I'm I, a huge fan. You are. I, I love John. I yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I never had the experience of having him coach a team that I'm close to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. Um, but that being said, I look at Columbus and – and now, you know what? I do believe that they, they can make the playoffs, even though they should fall out, because Carolina is a disaster as well. And what they did at the deadline, Russ, makes no sense to me. It makes they no didn't sense. get any defense, and they didn't pick up any goaltending. Right. So let's let's talk about that. So they went and made that extra defensive move getting Sammy Votnin. And I, I like the Shea move because that's a future move because they're going to lose. Um, at some point, they're going to lose some defensemen. Two years, they'll lose Hamilton. Maybe next year uh, they'll trade Gardner if they can. If not, they're kind of stuck with them. So they, they look down the road with that. But Vatanen, they didn't need to. The word was they didn't make a goalie move because they felt like their guys were close to coming back, so the prices were too high for, like, Leonard. But my, my reasoning that day and especially afterwards now is you should have paid the price because you could have anticipated that Ned Yelkovic and what you had there in Anton Forsberg – we're not going to win games until your guys got back. And now it looks like Morozik's going to miss more games. And so, like, now where are you? You probably yeah. bungled this to the point where you're out of the playoffs and you were firmly in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a great point. And, and Yelkovich is not ready for that. He may be no. a good goaltender down the road. Yeah. Um, and when you're dealing with a head injury as you are with – uh, a guy like Peter Morazic in the concussion, you just don't know when he's going to come back, or for that matter, if he'll come back. Right, that's why they should have made the move. I mean, this is a team that has a defense good enough to probably make it to the Stanley Cup if they have good, really good goaltending, and they don't. And they, they might not make it now because of it. It's it's ridiculous. And Florida, too. Like, Florida, they knew oh, Bob was having a bad year. He was having a horrible year. There's no way you could have predicted – that Montenblow would do well for them down the stretch and keep them in the run if Bob continued to do bad, badly. So Dale Talon does not replace any of them. I don't expect him to replace Bob, right? He's got a ton of term. You can't. But you could definitely get a structured backup 
that when Bob wasn't playing well could be put in and win games. They didn't do it. They didn't get a goalie at all. They're rolling with what they've got. Bob's got a 900 save percentage. Montenblow is still too young and inexperienced. They've got nothing down the stretch, and they're five points out now. And I think Dale Talon's going to have to be worried about his job because he has completely bungled this. Like, again, yep. you, you, they those teams would have been better to pay the price for Craig Anderson or some of those types of goalies knowing that goaltending was not their strength this year. It doesn't matter that you have Bob signed for eight years. It wasn't going good this year. And this year you were trying to make the playoffs with your new coach, and now it doesn't look good. And, of course, now you're not going to get fans in the stands. And so, like, what does that Bob contract look like now? It's not looking well, great. <laughs> as I look at Sportsnet's uh, website, sportsnet.ca, the, there's a cover story with video. Is Sergei Bobrovsky's contract the worst in the NHL? I thought it was when they signed it, and I like Bob, and I know, you know, everybody expects him to just turn it on the second half, but I thought it was way too high, and I, I hated that contract. I didn't think it was the worst in the league at the time, but now I do. Well, here's the deal. I did a little digging on this matter, and, uh, and here's my breakdown. And, and here's my hypothesis, is that Bob, perhaps, he's a great goalie, and we've seen him in international, and we've seen him perform. Yeah. And not a lot of playoff success on his resume, but was Bob insulated in Columbus with Wierenski, Seth Jones, and a good defensive system and a team that blocks shots? Because when I see Corpusallo and Elvis Merzlikens come in, and I see them have success, I go, you know what? I think the environment in Columbus was a good environment. And a lot of goalies would have good success in that environment, as Corpus Allo did, as Merz Lickens did, and as certainly Bobrovsky did. No, so when I, I look think, at that, I go, I think yeah. he may have been insulated a little bit. No, I think he was. I, I think with Merz Lickens, with Elvis, I'm just saying with Elvis at this point, <laughs> I think with him it's a little different only because – we saw he gets a little loose with the puck and he goes out there a little too far to try and make that great pass sometimes. And, and it definitely costs them. Sometimes it costs them right away. Sometimes it just costs them time in their own zone, which is, you don't ever want. And so I still think you're mostly right though, but I do think that we can't make excuses for Bob. Bob's yeah. No, he's not getting it done. Yeah. He's not getting the job done. He is not winning games he needs to win. I don't care what the Florida defense is. At some point, you have to perform better than this. Yeah, he's got you're 16 right. 16 games left. I mean, this is it. Like, he's got to win like 12 games. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Again, it's Florida being Florida. Uh, coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk with Kevin Kurz uh, from The Athletic, and he covers the San Jose Sharks. He did an exclusive article, Russ, with Ron Hextall. So we're going to talk to Kevin about his time in Philadelphia, his firing, obviously, and um, and how Ron wait, wait, Hextall has Kevin, recovered. Kevin got fired? Is that what you're saying? I know Kevin no, 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 time no. in Philadelphia. I'm kidding. No, well, Kevin was in Philadelphia, but he did not get fired in Philadelphia. <laughs> and he does a great job covering the Sharks for the Athletic, and um, we're going we're gonna to talk to him momentarily. Um, the Flyers right now, this team right now, Russ, and um, I know a lot of people are surprised. I Frankly, I'm surprised a little bit at how the depth of this team has come together, how, how good this team has looked. They're steamrolling right now. And I, don't, I look at it and I go, I don't think this is a team that's just hot. I think this is a team showing that they're good. There's no question all those things are hitting at the right time. They're still play <coughs> excuse me, playing their hottest hockey. We have to see how they close the season out too, right? There's still enough games left for, 
for that it's a turn the other way. I don't think it's going to, but I think, you know, they could lose two or three in a row still. And we see have to still have to see how they're going to react to that. They have been playing better on the road. They're still not the same team at on the road as at home. They still don't play the way they play at home aggressively early in the first period and try and get up early. They, they don't do that on the road, even in the games they win on the road now. So if they could somehow change that, they could be a serious contender. But that's, you know, that's a whole mindset change. Everything else has been good, though. What he's done with the defense, what he's done with the lineup. Not everybody's working out yet. I mean, we'll, we'll see Dave Thompson. how those deals at the end of the season work out. I don't know if they're all permanent or not. Grant has worked out fine. Thompson, eh, not so much. So we'll see. So, so Thompson could end up being the guy that's the 13th forward if Farabee were to come back up after he gets a little bit more time uh, down in the AHL. Yeah, and that would be fine. I mean, if he is that guy, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. And you know, they sent they, they called Farabee up the other day, but that was because Couturier had the flu and was a, it was questionable to play in the in the Sunday game against the Rangers. But because he didn't get into that game and he only took warm up, it doesn't count as one of the four call ups. So that's a good thing. No, that is a good thing. And that's that's a pretty big deal. Those things are all being handled well. Right now, like you said, the depth seems to be working. I don't know where the depth's going to be, though in the playoffs, but that's down the road. So I'm not worrying about that today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, one of the interesting dynamics of this is so many of these young players that we've seen this year, we just talked about Joel Farabee briefly, and you talk about a lot of these young players and Travis Konechny uh, poised to have a, a his best season of his career so far, and he's going to topple that 24-goal mark, which he's had twice. Uh, and then you look at the young defensemen in, in Provorov, obviously, Sanheim and Phil Myers, who was not a draft pick but a signing. Uh, but Ron Hextall brought a lot of these players here. So it's time to have Kevin Kurz join us right now from The Athletic. Uh, he covers the San Jose Sharks and was here in Philadelphia during Ron Hextall's years and had a chance to catch up with Ron Hextall and had a great article in The Athletic. So Kevin joins us now on the Stick to Hockey podcast. Kevin, how you doing? Good, good. How you doing, Jason? We're doing great, man. Um, how did the interview to get Ron Hextall and on this subject matter come about? Well, I mean, you guys know I've known Ron for a long time, I guess, you know, having worked there. Um, and, you know, I, I would reach out from him to time to time, uh, from time to time. I used to see him all the time when he was here in L.A. and I was in San Jose. So, um, you know, we've kind of maintained a relationship. And, uh, you know, frankly, I was just curious if, if he'd want to go on the record. Um, I know he had that press conference a couple of days after he got fired in Philly and, you know, at least to my knowledge, he hasn't really talked about it since then. And uh, I think I texted him a little before Christmas, um, and he wasn't quite ready to, to, to talk at that point. And then, I, you know, I circled back with him, um, obviously, just uh, fairly recently, and, and, uh, and he said he would talk. So, um, you know, we, we, we had a chat on Friday uh, just over the phone. He was in Florida there where he's been spending his time. And, uh, you know, he was pretty open about most things. I, I didn't want to – you know, I told him at the time, I, I don't want to rehash everything that went on in Philly. That was not the point of, of what I wanted to do. It was more just of a, more of a, uh, you know, what have you been doing the last 14 months? How long did it take you to get over it? And, um, you know, I thought he was pretty forthcoming about all that. Yeah, I liked it, Kev. Um, first off, I'm still mad at Ron because he didn't invite me to that little press conference, but that's okay. I'm a big fan <laughs> of Ron, and, and I respect everything he did. I, I do like the fact that you didn't rehash that stuff because – any corporation that you've ever worked in, any business that you've ever worked in, when you get fired, 
people always say the worst things about you. It's always the case. It happened with Ron here in Philly. I kept having to hear this, you know, all this rhetoric after the fact. And it's like, you know what? End of the day, what he did was very successful. Maybe he was moving a little slower than what the new management wanted. But you can't argue with their draft record, with the way he saved on the cap, which, again, now, Kev, they're, they're back in cap trouble the minute he left. So, And that's not to say that wouldn't have happened to him. But it's, mm-hmm. just, it's one of these things where I feel like some fans and media give him credit. But the minute the Flyers make the playoffs this year, they're going to go back to that same old rhetoric about Ron. And I think that's why this article was well-timed because I think it's sort of like a counterpoint to that. Yeah, and, and I mean, you just look at the the the, the his resume from top to bottom. Um, you know, I, I I assume most Flyers fans realize that he was an architect as much as anyone for those LA Kings teams. Um, you right. know, he was the general manager of, of their AHL team in Man- in Manchester, and a lot of those players ended up coming up and and helped them win a Stanley Cup with Dean Lombardi there. So. Um, you know, just to me, looking from the outside, obviously I'm not there every day, but but I, I do watch the. I'll tell you, the good thing, guys, about being out here on the West Coast is I can watch the early games at a reasonable time. So, you know, yeah. on a night like today, I'm going to watch a four o'clock game probably for first two periods where I have to go back to to SAP Center for Sharks and Maple Leafs. But, you know, I, I, I've been watching the Flyers pretty often, and and some of those young guys that. Um, obviously Ron drafted are really having a big impact. And he said as much now, you know, sometimes it takes three or four years. And the one thing I, I've, I've kind of learned doing this job is that it doesn't matter which fan base it is, whether it's in San Jose, Philadelphia, or anywhere in between the fans always seem to want to rush these young guys. And that's oh, yeah. just not how this league works. And you guys know that um, a lot of times, if there's a more skilled guy that is, you know, 20 years old, he's not going to play over the 27-year-old fourth-line winger who's a good penalty killer and is responsible both ways, right? Like the coach is going to go with the right. guy that he knows can give him, you know, some some responsible two-way hockey. And um, so I think, you know, maybe some of the people in Philly that, that look back on what Ron did and, and say he was taking too long, you know, you got to realize – just because a guy is tearing it up at the AHL level doesn't mean he's going to be able to come up and um, play every night at the NHL right. level. Uh, Kev, did you one thing to add, Jason, before you jump in, it's just a follow-up statement. Kev, you may not even be aware of this, but like when I saw early on how Ron was adding layers to their player development, because I'm, I'm one of those geeks that was always at um, rookie camp, always there first day, matter of fact, usually early. Uh, mm-hmm. dying to get out of the heat, dying to, to see what goes on there. And so, like, for Hexel's first year, I happened to go in there. I walk in, and I saw they were doing all the testing. They hadn't pulled it in yet, and so I'm watching it, and I saw Moran do the vertical, and he pushes over a couple of metal levers, and I looked at the trainer, and I said, hey, how high was that? And he just goes, high. And he just sort of looks at me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know. And I wrote it down, and I spoke to Sam, and he gave me an idea. And next year, all that was hidden. Then you couldn't see mm-hmm. any of that anymore. The media they yeah. did it on a completely different day. But that was the first time I saw that they were doing those things. And Ron never gets credit for any of that. All their development and training for, for the kids is so important. You see it in San Jose because they're pretty good at getting guys graduated to the NHL. 
Well, they were <laughs> maybe not so much well, the they last used couple to be. years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah they, they've 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 had a little bit of trouble with that this year, as you can see if you look at the standings. But um, you know, for a long time, that that's what the Sharks have had to rely on is they don't have those top ten picks um, very often, really, really at all. You know, Timo Meyer was the last one. Before that was Logan Couture. So um, they do have to rely on. Um, you know, a lot of those prospects and it hasn't happened this year. And that's why they're, you know, sitting out of the playoff race. Uh, Kev, did you get any sense in talking to Ron? Cause uh, you have the one quote in your story that says, I care about the people there. And some of those kids mm-hmm. I've watched since they were 17 or 18 years old, he said, I care about those people and keep in, t- and keep in touch with them to this day. Um, is it hard for him to watch the team kind of doing what they're doing right now? Cause this was the blueprint that he laid down. It's been, you know, Chuck Fletcher certainly put his stamp on it this offseason, but um, to see the team have the success that they're having right now, is that make it a little bit difficult for Ron to watch and kind of, uh, you know, it, pseudo enjoy what, you know, the fruits of his labor kind of bared here as well? Yeah, you know, I don't know about that. I, I could, you know, I know that when the Flyers were there, when were they there? About three weeks ago in early February. Um, you know, he did say he had to kind of prepare himself emotionally, I think, to. To, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but, you know, I think he had to, you know, just take a moment and, and just, you know, prepare himself just to see these these guys because it did obviously affect him, I think, pretty deeply when, when he was fired there. So, um, you know, maybe that was just one of those games he had to watch and get over it before he moved on. But, you know, to me, it sounds like he's moved on. He's, he's back with L.A. He's working for Rob Blake. Um, he, he, he spoke, uh, very, uh, he, he really was praising Rob Blake for the way, uh, he runs things in LA. And obviously that's a team that's in, uh, you know, same kind of situation, maybe not quite as bad as the Flyers were a few years ago, but they're going to rely on, um, you know, restocking the system. They're going to have a top five pick this year, no doubt. Um, and, you know, Ron right now told me that he's, his focus is more on teams that, he's maybe not as familiar with. So, you know, obviously he knows a lot of those guys on the Flyers roster, you know, pretty well uh, top to bottom. So um, I think he's trying to concentrate on some other teams just because that's how he can, he can help Rob kind of remake the Kings. But, um, you know, he said it a couple of times. He cares about a lot of those kids. He watched a lot of them since they were 17 or 18 years old, you know, whether it's guys like connecting or Provorov or Carter Hart or whoever else. And, um, you know, you guys know Ron's a good man. <laughs> you know, he wants to see all those guys do well. I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah he wears I, the, his emotions on his head, sir. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, just to to let people kind of in inside a little bit on the the type of guy that he is, and you've known him a long time, Kev. You Russ as well. Um, I mean, the day after I got fired, I got fired on Halloween from the radio, and I got a I got a text message from Ron. And it was a really nice text message um, for him to do that while he's not even in Philadelphia, how he even knew that some schmuck like me got fired. Uh, but to send me a really nice text, I mean, that, that's just the kind of guy that Ron Hextall is. So I just kind of wanted to let people know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, the, I, ahead, I was just going to say, I can go one where we were doing a local AM radio show. We had Ron on just when he was not, when he's with LA, he came on, he talked about his old flyer stuff, whatever. Next, the next, day the next week whenever it was we saw him at the rink and that host introduced me to ron and said hey ron you know you came on you did the interview this guy used to boo you in the blue seats at the garden and he loved that he laughed he's like that's great <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you know i i i've always i've always enjoyed him and uh, you know I, again i saw him in la uh you know when he was 
the assistant general manager there. Obviously, the Sharks and the Kings are pretty big rivals. And, um, you know, I, I did a story a couple of months ago because the Sharks hired Ned Coletti as a scout. Right. And uh, he's the old Dodgers general manager. He and Ron were real close, too. And, and that was actually my lead in the story because, you know, Ron used to joke with Ned Coletti, who, who knew all these people around, you know, around the league. You must you must uh, get to celebrate a Stanley Cup every year because, you know, somebody with every team that wins it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's just the kind of guy he is. He, he knows, uh, you know, he, he treats people well. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any doubt he's. Well, I mean, I guess there's always some doubt, but to me, he's probably going to get a shot at some point here, uh, you know, depending on what kind of openings there are this summer, right? Yeah, well, if you look at the success of the Flyers, uh, that's a nice thing that keeps building your name in a lot of ways because inside hockey no circles, yeah. they know the role that he played in a lot of these young players and his belief system. Uh, uh, you guys know this. I love his belief system. You build it from the crease out. He was drafting a goalie every year. He's drafting defensemen. They still got more coming, guys that he was drafting and, um, you see that that's the basis for a team from the crease out and big up the middle. And that's exactly what he's built. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it think, looks good from where I've been watching. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, look, we, we know that Ron commented and, and probably, and, and I think he said that, you know, he was a little surprised when Hart got called up, but he, you know, he sees how good he is, but I don't think he's surprised about Farabee or Frost being down based on the quotes I saw in your article, Kev. I think, you know, that, didn't surprise him at all. He definitely wouldn't have played them both that long, even out of necessity. I don't think he would have. And and that really is the difference between the way he does it and maybe the way the Flyers are doing it now. And there's never a right or wrong, but I always say being in the prospect business, it's never wrong to overmarinate them. Like you said, a hot AHL player doesn't necessarily mean you'll be good in the NHL. I mean, I think the, uh, the story of Martin Furk is a good example because Maybe with Detroit, he got rushed a little bit, but he was a guy only with a shot. And now all of a sudden he's learned how to at least play a little bit of defense and he still has that 105 mile an hour shot. Now he's back to being in the NHL. So there is something to be said about the way Ron handles, handles things. Uh, Kev, let me ask you about uh, San Jose. You're close to that team. You're with them. You've traveled the whole thing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I look at that team, you know, they were in a cup not that long ago in a final. Uh, with Martin Jones, mind you. And they, they make the, mm -hmm. the deal last summer to extend Eric Carlson, which I, I would not have been in favor of had <laughs> I been a Sharks fan, especially considering the, his health history and very recent health history. I mean, he ended the year in a walking boot. Um, you know, and, and Doug Wilson's a guy that never gave out the term. And then all of a sudden that started to change with Evander Kane and you saw it mm -hmm. with uh, you saw it with Logan Couture. You know, I don't think Joe Thornton ever sold, signed a contract more than four years long or three years. And now all of a sudden yeah. he's giving out term, mm -hmm. and his team is in a really bad place. They have a situation environmentally defense, you know, defensive environment which is horrific. Um, they they can't keep the puck out of the net. Where does that team mm -hmm. go considering their salary cap situation <laughs> moving forward? Yeah, well, it just uh, I'll, I'll give you the background on where I think they are, where they are right now. And, you know, you talked about the term, and you're absolutely right. That really started with Brent Burns back in, yeah. um, you know, they, they signed Brent. And, and he had to. And, you know, at the time, Brent Burns um, was a Norris Trophy perennial candidate, um, and he was a finalist for the, for the award that year. I, I, I'd have to check. I think he might have actually won. He won the Norris, I think you know, just a couple of months after he signed that long eight, eight year deal. Basically what, what's happened to this team is for so long, they've kind of kicked the can down the line in terms of making the moves they had to make to remain in the playoff race. And, 
you know, that's signing guys like Brent Burns, the long-term deal, signing guys like Evander Kane, um, trading for Eric Carlson. Um, you know, what they were doing, they were making those moves because they were close. And, and frankly, and I've said this all along, if Eric Carlson was healthy last season rather than dealing with that groin injury, they could very well have won the Stanley Cup. Um, you know, they pushed St. Louis to six games, and they were yeah. so banged up by the end of that series, they had no chance whatsoever. Um, so, you know, you, you do that for so long, and, and they missed on some drafts in the early, you know, the mid part of the decade, if you look at 2014, 15, 16. Um, some real poor decisions in the first round in particular. And, you know, so now you've got an aging core. Um, you've got a room that doesn't have Captain Joe Pavelski anymore. I think there are some issues in the room in terms of, you know, a leadership void. Um, and you don't have that push from guys underneath because of those earlier drafts. So that's why, you know, they are where they are right now, frankly. Um, and, you know, Doug Wilson says he wants to try to fix this within a year. He likes he likes the bones of the team is the phrase he's been using. You know, I don't see that happening unless he moves at least one or two of these big contracts. And, um, you know, he probably needs to find another goalie too. So he's got his work cut out for him. We'll see if he can pull it off. Uh, and, and, and to Doug's credit, he's, um, you know, he's kept his team competitive for so long. Every team goes through these sorts of seasons. Um, it's can you rebound the next year? Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, he's got his work cut out for him if they're going to do that. I'll say this to counter a little bit. With, with the draft stuff, you're right about some of that first-round stuff, although, like you said, Timo Meyer has been really great. But they do well in the late rounds, and they have a lot of guys stashed in college. As an example, you know, I saw Leonard this year for Providence, who's absolutely mm-hmm. lighted it up, who's a Hobie Baker candidate. They've got yeah. some guys stashed in, in faraway places, and you might start to see some of those guys start to come over, and then maybe that'll be part of the resurgence with, obviously, any kind of goaltending, whether it's you know, they solve that situation or not, they probably will. But the other thing is, Kevin LeBanc, who's another really good success story, did them a favor on a contract, and now he's going to want to get paid this year. What do you think is going to happen with that? Yeah, well, you know, he's been okay this year. He hasn't been great. Um, He's just one of those guys that he has so much ability offensively. He's just never really been able to figure out the two-way game and and just yeah. you know the hockey sense part of it and you know he was so successful last year because he was playing with Joe Thornton and, and people forget in the second half of last year Joe Thornton was very very good um, yeah. and I think LeBanc benefited from playing with him and, and they've been moving him all up and down the lineup now he's far from the only player that's underperformed this year but um, that's gonna be interesting I, I don't really have a feel on on, on that next contract okay. because you know, he did do him a favor one year, $1 million. He could have held out for probably, you know, 3 million a year on like a three-year deal. But, um, you know, they, uh, I don't think anything's gone as planned for really anybody in this organization this season. (laughs) And that includes LeBanc. So we'll see where that ends up. I mean, the other option is maybe you try to try to uh, dangle him for uh, as a package for a goalie or something like that, because uh, you know, he's a, He's got so much skill, but um, he, he's just, you know, he's got he's to figure out the, the, uh, the ins and outs of the defensive game still. Hey, hey Kevin, if they're going to fix their goalie situation, they're going to have to start with fixing their environment. Mm-hmm. The environment there has yep. not been good for years, and you see the problems with that. Um, let me ask you about this because Joe Thornton, I was really surprised at some of the comments he said after the deadline. It's not Joe Thornton-like. No. Is, is the end of the road for Joe Thornton because they're going through a pseudo rebuild? Does he hang it up or does he have another year left? 
Well, he wants to play next year. He's, he said that, and that was, uh, you know, I, I talked to him at, at Madison Square Garden, pregame skate there, uh, and I'm the only traveling writer at the moment with this team. So I talked to him one-on-one, and, and I was a little surprised when he told me he wanted to play next year because last year, whenever I would ask him that question, he would um, say, well, I'm thinking it, thinking about it. I'm just taking it one day at a time. And, and he didn't actually say he was returning for another season until June at the NHL Awards show. So, um, you know, maybe that's partly because, you know, we found out a couple of days later how much this guy really just wants a Stanley Cup. Because, I mean, I'll tell you, and it was the morning in Philadelphia there where I had gotten wind that he was really disappointed that he wasn't traded. And um, I don't know if that got back to him or what, but when, when I, when, you know, we talked to him, it was just Adam Kimmelman and I from NHL.com and, and man, this guy, I've never seen him so, so devastated. It's just so he was really upset. And, um, you know, I think it's just a reminder, I think to everyone who, who's followed his career that this guy really wants to win. And, and, and that was something I never questioned because I've been around him and, and maybe from the outside, it looked like that sometimes, but um, you know, this guy wants to win and, and, um, you know, maybe he, what, what, I, he wants to play next year, and I think he will find somewhere to play. But he, he can do – he can sort of wait out the Sharks and, and see what they do after July 1st, and maybe he can decide then if he thinks this is a Stanley Cup winning team. And if it isn't, um, I would have to think some team out there would give him a, a one-year cheap uh, deal to, to maybe join them. And I know Elliot Friedman speculated on Toronto – I wonder about Dallas because I still think that was closer than has maybe been reported. Right. Um, but he wants to keep going. And, and, and listen, I think this guy can still play. I, I watch him every night and he's 40 years old. Obviously he's not going to be a beast every night, but you know, he hasn't been getting much help from his wingers this season um, either. So I, I think that all has to be taken into account. I mean, I'll tell you what I saw in Philly. I saw a guy who could still do well with puck possession and he's still the mm-hmm. best passer on the team. And mm-hmm. so on the power play and at certain times once the puck is in the offensive zone takes him a little bit to get there uh it's the same as Jager. i mean you know there's that skill is there and there's no doubt he can help what i'm reading between the lines from what you were saying is it just sounds like he doesn't want he didn't want to go out the way he this team is going out this year so he wants mm-hmm. to you know try and win the cup and so yeah i think he's going to end up trying to do it somewhere else too yeah i mean i have a tough time seeing the sharks turn this around within a year um right you know, I don't know what's in his head. Obviously, I think there, we have to see what, what other moves follow um, because, you know, like like I said before, Doug's got some work to do if he's going to oh, make yeah. this team a contender again. Well, Kev, a great article in The Athletic, man. We appreciate it, as I always say. Yeah, thank you. Know, you. The, 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 the stuff that yeah, The Athletic's doing, yeah, covering the NHL is tremendous. If you're not a subscriber, um, you get my high rec- highest of recommendations to do so. Thanks for joining us on the Stick to Hockey Pod, man. We appreciate it. We'll be reading you. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care. And there he is, Kevin Kurz, joining us on the Stick to Hockey podcast. It's going to be interesting, Russ, to see how uh, Ron Hextall is remembered through this whole thing. Is it going to be like Ed Wade, who constructed the Phillies, but wasn't there when they actually won? No, and it's funny, because even though I wasn't a full-time baseball writer or anything close to it, I would interview Ed Wade every year. He was a really good guy to talk to and did have success in Houston pre-cheating. I do, I do want to add that. Um, so I, I, I think it'll be a little better than that, but there are some fans that are still sort of down on what he did and media members definitely down on what he did. And I honestly don't think they have veered all that far off, off the course from Hextall. One thing I wanted to mention, I think I mentioned Leonard play for Providence, but I saw him play in Providence. He played 
He plays for UMass. But listen to these numbers. 27 goals in 32 games. He's, this is his third year with UMass. If you don't think the San Jose Sharks are going to try to sign him for next year, you're crazy. And I think those are the kinds of players. And, that, and look, this isn't on Kev. These guys aren't seen a lot because, you know, there's guys overseas, there's guys in college. But I think, they, I think the Sharks will get some of them into the fold quicker now. Yeah, we'll just see how quick it is and if Doug Wilson's able to have a, a quick turnaround there in San Jose. And uh, Kevin Kevin Kerr's great stuff. But, all right, Russ, a couple things going on as well. I mean, obviously the playoff race is extremely tight. Uh, we talked about the Metropolitan Division and the Eastern Conference. Uh, but when I look at the Western Conference, there's a few things of concern here for me as well. Um, when I look how this is going to play out in the West, um, you know, St. Louis obviously getting in, and they could end up winning that Central Division, and it would behoove them to do so. Yep. But a first-round matchup of either St. Louis and Dallas or Colorado and Dallas is one of the unfortunate ramifications of this playoff seeding system, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But I did just see that Bishop is now injured again partially in day-to-day. Boy, he's such a good goalie. And when I saw him at the um, at the Winter Classic, he was fantastic. But I have to just say, I wonder what he is going to do or what he's going to be able to do in the playoffs. So that's my worry for Ben Bishop. So I think both those teams will have their hands full, but I think they would both advance. I don't yeah. think Dallas is if, – if Bishop's a little banged up, Dallas is in trouble. Yeah, well, I mean, they do have a good backup in Hudobin, but he's not Ben Bishop. And no. Colorado's goaltending is a bit suspect as well. Yeah, uh, but you want to – they are. But Francis has really proved the whole world wrong. And, you know, I have a lot of faith in their goaltending, coaching, and I know Craig Billington's still in the organization. He was a good goalie. He's been winning games, man, and they signed him to a two-year deal. We, None of us barely even knew who he was, and yet he's still doing the job. It wouldn't shock me if even Grubauer got in there late because that he could still hold down the fort. Remember, this team is a plus 50 on the year, a plus 50. Yeah. Differential-wise. Yeah. That's so, a good point. Yeah. Uh, Russ, um, is the Hart Trophy race over? It's not over, but Leon Dreisaitl is certainly leading the pack now. I think McKinnon put a big exclamation point on it last night. I know with six points, four goals. I think I think McKinnon can still be there, but I do think that there's an issue there. I tell you what, what has changed is the Calder because Cal McCarr endured another injury. Quinn Hughes has been steady all the way through. Quinn Hughes is now leading all rookies in scoring, which I don't think they've had a defenseman lead all the rookies in scoring since maybe Lidstrom. It's been a while. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. So that's a pretty big deal. So now Quinn Hughes is the leader for the Calder. It doesn't mean McCarr still can't win. They're both top pairing defensemen. All this means is that Kubelik can't win in Chicago. He is a goal scorer, but he doesn't do a lot else. And I think based on the fact that way this is now in this league and the way we sort of value offensive defensemen, I think he's, uh, he's, he's just going to be third no matter what. It, will Quinn Hughes be the better Hughes in three to five years? I mean, it's really close. It really is, isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I, I told people, and I, I think they kind of looked at me strange that I said, I think he's revolution, revolutionizing the position this year. I, I go back to 2017. People can go to sportsology.com and say that I felt he was a generational player. I know people were skeptical at first because of, you know, the way he looked. Same thing as, as Jack. I have full 
faith in Jack. I, I will never lose faith in him. But if Quinn is better than him, it still wouldn't shock me because the one thing Quinn does, and I guess he can only really do this as a defenseman, is he has his mind made up exactly what he's going to do before he heads up the ice and knows how to break down the other team. He's got a computer yeah. in his head that way. It's hard for a center to do that, right? Because you have other responsibilities. And when you're the puck-carrying defenseman now, if you're that good, and I'm not saying he's Brian Leach or anything like that, but guys like that used to be able to operate that way. If you could operate that way, you might be the better Hughes. There is a chance. Yeah, which is to say that Jack isn't going to be a bad player. Right. It's just that as a blue liner with Quinn Hughes and that skating ability, and, and as you mentioned, it, it, sometimes it looks like he's playing chess and other people are playing checkers on the right. ice. Yeah, he's absolutely. just he's an elite NHL mind already yes. at that young of an age, and he hasn't even filled out physically yet. Um, I'll tell you when it, I knew he was really an elite NHL mind was pre-draft interviewing him, and I had interviewed him before, but I asked him about certain teams, and he said, "Yeah, I've been looking at all their cities, all their rosters. I know all the players, and so I'm, you know, I'm prepared to go to three or four places, and I've done my homework." Yeah, you never hear a prospect say that. Well, he, and the good thing, you know, I, I like when Vancouver's good and that team is on the rise, provided yeah. they can get some goaltending down the stretch here from Jacob Markstrom and he can get back healthy right. because because of the situation out there now with Thatcher Demko, who maybe end up being the future, he's not ready yeah. just yet. And that no. team's going to hang on. It'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. Russ, uh, NHL general managers meetings down at, uh, as Steve Fredericks used to say, down at Boca Raton, Florida. Oh, that's uh, pretty good. Good for yeah. you. Uh, me and Tootsie are down here. Um, but anyway, uh, a couple of big things to come out of these general managers' meetings already. First and foremost, they, they decided to meet and have a discussion on the e-bug, and they decided there's nothing to see here, which is good news for a lot of e-bugs. And our, our buddy, um, Justin Kowalkowski, I always screw his name up, who I sit yeah. with at the press box, uh, who is the Flyers e-bug, I'm sure he's thrilled, although he would probably meet the new criteria as a younger guy and being only 35. Uh, but they're not going to change anything because – this has happened, what, really twice in 100 years of the NHL. Yeah, it's, nothing's going to change. People thought because it was Toronto, it would change. It didn't. And it would, the same kind of press would have happened for anybody. But Ayers has really grabbed it, and he's been like an ambassador for the game. The stories that come out are so much better than what the downside is if all of a sudden he gives up a lot of goals instead, that you keep it the way it is. I think they all looked at that. But... The story that broke, Eric Francis broke it, and I'm not going to, I don't have the quote exactly in front of me, but Colin Campbell called Don Waddell in between the second and third period and kind of, you know, asked if they were going to get one of those two guys out there. And I don't know why Colin Campbell would do, Colin Campbell would do that, but that was a bad move and it doesn't look good for him. No. So, it, it, it's, it, it, to me, it's, it really calls the integrity of the game into question <laughs> when he does that. Right. And it, so it's not a good look. And so, that may be the most telling thing that came out of this whole thing. But the, um, the other thing that they're talking about, I, I do like, is now after three years, they might change the offside rule. Yeah, well, let me, let me just wrap up on the e-bug real quick, too. Yeah, sure, sure. The, the reason why they shouldn't change it, you're right, the story is far better, but it's not really about the story. A professional sports league can't worry about the story. But the fact of the matter is, is in the last two situations where it's happened, and uh, Scott Foster got in for, I think it was like 13 minutes and stopped seven shots. Right. And David Ayers got in for 27, 28 minutes, gave up two goals, and then shut the door and made seven third-period saves. 
both the teams won that had to go to an e-bug for an extended period of time. It wasn't like they were th- bombing shots from the red line and these guys weren't stopping them. Right. <laughs> so there, there's the other reason. There's nothing to see here. It's worked perfectly. Uh, okay. Now, but let's the only go to- thing that wasn't perfectly is, yes, he is an employee of, of yes. the Toronto Maple Leafs and has practice with the team and he works with the Marlies and he's a Zamboni guy. But if you take that part out of it, which I think you have to, if you're an athlete that has competed, which this guy has, it just hadn't been in a while, that's what kicks in when you get out there. Even yep. in your beer league, that's what happens with you. It's exactly what will happen tonight. Whether I stop any pucks remains to be seen. All right, you just brought up the big one and the rule, the proposal for the rule change, and it still needs to be approved by the competition committee and the board of governors. But it's going to change the language of the rule to say a player only has to break the plane of the blue line to determine offside. The current version of the rule requires that at least one skate be in contact with or on his own side of the line for the player to be onside. Um, it's about time this rule came into play. We had this situation a couple of years ago where Evgeny Malkin was clearly straddling the line, yeah. uh, but his left skate was not on the ice and his right skate was inside the zone and Dallas challenged it and boom. But uh, the breaking kind of the spirit of the rule, but the technical aspects of it, this is the right move. It's a plane that goes to the ceiling. It's the right move. It's taken way too long. But lately I've been getting really annoyed the last two years with the fact that the minute a goal gets scored, if there was a rush into the zone, they're looking on the iPad, the other team that got scored on, and they're looking for an easy way out by challenging. Now, yes, you do get a penalty against you if you don't win the challenge, but like, it's just like, you know, not every goal should be challenged. And, and that's the problem. It just became a crutch. And so I do like it, but I still think they need to go further. What I, we had Kevin Allen on, on, on the hockey buzzcast today and, Kevin Allen said in reaction to me, I thought, there, why can't we have electrodes in the puck? Why can't we have it buried in the ice, a chip, something buried in the ice? They do this in, in tennis. And he said from what he has gathered that the NHL doesn't think the technology is quite there yet for that, but that it's close. And I think ultimately that's where we need to go because then all you have to do is look and see if a light lit up and maybe the off-ice official is the guy who gets that or the guy in the penalty box somebody will tell you whether it went off or not, and we won't have to have these lengthy delays anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. With technology the way it is today, let's take advantage of said technology. Russ, last thing, Russ. Um, Let me ask you about Bobby Ryan in that first game back and netting the hat trick on that night. He had a fight in that game. He had a hat trick. You mean Cherry Cherry Hill's Bobby Ryan? Cherry Hill, Cherry Hill's very own Bobby Ryan. Actually, that's not really his real last name, as we all know. I know. Um, but that being said, Bobby Ryan uh, ends up with the, you know, coming out, and he's been really open about his struggles with alcohol and substance abuse um, and was getting treatment, but all of a sudden he comes out, and, and look what happens. He gets that hat trick. He was emotional. I thought it was a great moment. I really did. It was a great moment. I, I have a lot of respect for the guy. I covered him way back in his world junior days, have followed him ever since. Never thought for a minute he'd play for the Flyers. He doesn't like East Coast humidity. He's told me that. So I don't know if he's in a rush to play on this side of the world. But still a competitor. Still, when people were sort of knocking him, and, and I may have knocked him for his production, he showed that there's, there was a problem. He took care of it. I'm happy. The only other problem he needs to take care of is he thinks the king of pizza is the best pizza in South Jersey, and it's not even close. 
And he needs to come to grips with that, that it's not. Like, that's a childhood memory. He needs to branch out to other pizza places. and Or, or just go to, like, Celebrate, which is right, right near Wells Fargo in Philly. And he'll see that it's not even close. But that's that's the only knock I have on Bobby Ryan at this point. Well, I mean, look, one of the things about Bobby Ryan, and he gets knocked because of the contract, yeah. he did have four straight 30-goal seasons. Yeah. Uh, and you're two, three, four, and five in the NHL. And he's he still earned a the skater. contract. He's still a yeah. Really good skater. Yeah. I mean, he, he earned it. And, and he, look, he gets cited a lot of times for being the worst value on a contract. But that being said, uh, he also was the second overall pick to one Sidney Crosby. Right. After the lockout year where the draft order had to be determined and it couldn't be based on the year prior results. Right. Very right. interesting. Yeah. Brian Burke tells a great story about the drafting of uh, Bobby Ryan because he was in Anaheim at the time. And, right. Um, it, very interesting stuff. But that, that's one of the good stories in the NHL. that uh, Actually, gives one you more little- good story. Um, last night, and I forget the player's name, Max Pacioretty, um, he and a player went up for a uh, puck. And the, he felt the other player falling, and he knew he was going to fall on top of them. And he put his arm around his head to brace his fall when he hit the uh, hit the ice. Yeah, yeah, that, that's just hockey players being hockey players. Well, no, but now they're at least, you know, we could have said two years ago, hockey players being hockey players would have just you know knocked the guy over because they were sort of losing respect for each other. And we saw that, and you know, you probably talked about it, but I think now it's starting to swing back because of head injuries. I think they are noticing that and then that was a really good moment too yeah no question about it i want to wrap up with one last thing um i think you were on vacation but the flyers had a a a 15 year old kid they did a make a wish yes i Uh, saw it right before i went on vacation yeah and it was i mean it was unbelievable uh it's a 15 year old kid um they signed him to a one-year contract basically is what or a one-day contract yeah i tried to get the one year they didn't give it to me right Uh, but his name is blake stagoff um he's a local kid who was uh, battling some cancer at Mannheim central high school Um, he was diagnosed with cancer last april april and they partnered with make a wish and the flyers the way that they made this kid feel special and claude Giroux in particular was something that was absolutely just stunning to see. They held a press conference with him. Um, he was answering questions with Claude Drew after the game, and it was just an amazing thing that the Flyers did for this young kid. Yeah, no question. I, I, I did see some pictures and such and was very happy with the way they handled it. They always do a good job with that. That's, you know, the thrill of the kid's life right now for that. Probably gives them motivation to fight the disease. It's great. Yeah, tremendous stuff. Uh, but that's going to put a wrap for us on episode number 71. The next episode will be 72, and I already got the guy in mind. We talked about him on this episode. We did. not performing so good. No. <laughs> All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Give us a, a rating and review. Make sure you follow the Stick to Hockey podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. And in the meantime, enjoy your hockey. <laughs>